Okay, so today we're in 1 Corinthians and we're starting chapter 2. So let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn from it. And as we go through this part of the book, um, really see that it's your word and it's your power that, that changes hearts and changes minds and, and uh, brings us out of darkness and into your light. And we just thank you for that. And we pray that as we study this morning, we'll see that more and more. We'll appreciate it more and more. We just ask you, bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, to get our context this morning, we'll read in chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 11. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. The okay. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay. Now we got all the verses read. <laughs> a little different order of people reading than normal. But we, we did it. Um, so last week we finished chapter 1. And, and really the theme that we were looking at is uh, that, that Paul is using the Corinthians themselves as examples of how our weaknesses and our unworthiness uh, demonstrate God's power and God's grace in our salvation. We can't save ourselves, and, and like he says of the Corinthians, you know, look at yourselves. Not many strong, not many powerful, not many wise. Um, it's God's power. We, and he, he ends by saying, if you're going to boast, you boast in God's glory. We don't boast in ourselves. So this morning as we start chapter 2, uh, Paul's going to basically continue this basic principle. So he's been talking about the weakness of the recipients of the gospel. Now he's going to talk about the weakness of the preacher and the preaching of the gospel and apply it to himself. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with. 
And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So this begins with, you know, and, which could also mean I also. So he's including himself. He's continuing this idea, um, man's weakness. And he, he's asking them now not just to look at themselves, but to remember what he was like when he came to them with the gospel. Remember what I was like when I first presented the gospel to you. He was not impressive at all. And that's what we'll see here. Uh, he didn't come with uh, fine oratory or philosophical arguments. Uh, they would have traveling philosophers who would go around and give talks. And people would pay to hear them. This, this is rhetoric, you know, the fine art of oratory. And people would go and pay to hear these speakers. And, and we have that today. Have you ever listened to a TED talk? You get someone who gives a presentation and people flock to hear it. Um, we have blogs and, you know, people sharing what they know and, people, you know, some of them become famous and have all these followers. Well, that's kind of what they did in those days, but they didn't have the internet, so the, the guy had to be there in person. He couldn't see a video or internet. Um, when we get to 2 Corinthians, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians, Paul has some opponents at the church, and they kind of put him down. You know, there there's are some of those who say, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter because... They're better than Paul was. And so Paul addresses those in, in this part of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, would someone like to read verse 10 for us? For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Okay. Um, mine says personal presence is unimpressive. <laughs> and... His speech is contemptible. Um, we had that word in chapter 1, verse 28, where it talked about um, the base things of the world and the despised. That's the same word as despised. He's despicable. You look down on him. And then still in 2 Corinthians, turn to chapter 11. Would someone like to read verse 6 for us? Okay, so again, he says he's, he's not a trained speaker. He's unimpressive, despicable in his presentation. However, he says, I bring the wisdom, um, uh, the wisdom of God. He's, so this wisdom he refers to um, back in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Okay. Wisdom there refers to the wisdom of the world. That's what we've been talking about earlier. You know, the, the Greeks loved wisdom, and so he refers to their wisdom at this point. Um, and that's like theological reasoning or something like that. 
Um, you can't reason somebody into faith. You can, because faith faith is not so much intellectual as it is a decision that you make. Um, it's not the result of a logical argument. You can you can convince somebody of something, but that may not result in faith. Um, and in fact, the opposite may be true. Uh, you can have faith in something that does not make sense to you at all. And I think back when I was a, a young believer, and I was reading through my Bible, and I got to Genesis chapter 7. And it says, the waters prevailed above the highest mountain by 15 cubits. I mean, that's exactly what it says. With my secular scientific background, that didn't make sense. That was, that's not possible. But that is what it said. And so I made the decision at that time that, okay, I'm going to accept that as true, even if it doesn't make sense to me. So it was a, uh, it was a decision, and I put faith in God's word, um, even when it did not make sense to me. So, fine reasoning does not necessarily correspond to faith. Um, so, what Paul's doing here is he's including himself in all these same categories that he put the Corinthians in earlier. Uh, he's foolish, he's despicable, um, and what this means is that any fruit that comes from his ministry must be the result of God's power not his skills, because he did not have those skills. And so this tells us here, uh, at the end of verse 1, he's proclaiming the testimony of God. And the testimony of God here is the gospel, and we'll see that as we go through. Um, does anybody have a version that says, I proclaim the mystery of God? Yeah, at the end of verse 1. I think everybody has testimony. From what I could see is... Um, so I'm, I'm going to take a little side trip down a rabbit trail. I have two copies of Greek translations at home. One has the word martur, marturion, which is translated into English as martyr, which is a testimony. And so that's what this translation comes from, you know, God's testimony from Marturion. The other one has the word mysterion, <coughs> which you can guess what our word is, is mystery. Yeah. Um, so we, I've got two different Greek versions. The newer one is the one that says mystery. And it has um, notes at the bottom of each page where there's alternate readings. And so they pick one, and then there's a letter next to it, A through D, as to how certain they are of it. If it's A, that means they're, you know, 99% sure this is the right word, down to D, which is, you can flip a coin, because we don't know. This one's a C, so it's almost <laughs> So the older translations, the older Greek, the, um, you, you might see it referred to as a Nestle text. It has the word testimony here. But the newer 
concrete version that I have has the word mystery. Um, which is okay because we will see the word mystery in verse 7. So it, you know, it doesn't change the, what Paul's telling us here, um, whether it's mystery or testimony. So, so unlike me, Paul stays on topic. Because <laughs> um, we can see that in verse 2. It says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the topic. He didn't get off in the rabbit trails like what I just did. At that time, at that time and era, a lot of it was still a mystery because they weren't really, it wasn't all being revealed once. I and mean, we look back now and see the whole picture. Right. But as, but as things were being presented to them there, a lot of it was still a mysterious form. It was a mystery. And when we get to verse 7, we'll get into that quite a bit about the, what, what he means by mystery. So here we see, you know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the topic. Paul sticks to it. Um, and again, it's not just Jesus Christ dead, but crucified. You know, the crucifixion, which he refers to in Galatians, as he tells us, you know, uh, when you're hung on a tree, it's a curse. He, Jesus took the curse for us. He wasn't just put to death, but he was hung on a cross. He was hung on a tree to take the curse. So... The term crucified is important here, too. Um, you know, every time we celebrate communion, this is what we're celebrating, uh, the crucifixion of Christ, that Jesus came in the flesh to die for our sins. And so Paul says, I determined to know nothing except this. This was his main topic. Um, now, when he says he came to know nothing, uh, he's not saying that he became ignorant. Um, Paul was highly educated, but he ignored all this other education to focus on the gospel. Let's look at Acts chapter 22. Look at his education. Acts chapter 22. Someone like to read verse 3 for us. I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, According to the strict manner of the law, our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Okay, educated under Gamaliel. Well, who's Gamaliel? Well, let's turn back to Acts chapter 5. Someone like to read verse 34 for us. Okay, so here he is. He's a Pharisee, a teacher. He was probably the most respected teacher at that time in the Jewish religion. So that's why Paul could say, you know, I went to the best school. You know, he's not, he's not uneducated. Uh, he's, he's not dumb or uneducated. He also worked hard at it. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, some like to read verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advanced, advancing in Judaism beyond many 
made among my people, and I am extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Okay, so he was advancing beyond all his contemporaries. Not only was he in the best school, but he graduated first in his class. So when he says, you know, I just determined to know nothing, this is what he's setting aside. He's saying, that's not important. What's important is Christ crucified. Not what I am, not, the, not my degrees, not all the letters after my name and all that stuff. What is important is Christ crucified. Um, and we know through his writings, he, he quoted Greek poets and, and philosophers, so he was aware of that. <clears throat> he spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew. Uh, I don't know about Latin, I don't know of any examples, but that was another language at that time he possibly knew. Um, in the book of Romans, we see a long, detailed argument that he puts together. So he's capable of you know, very good, sound, logical reasoning. Um, so he's, he's extremely capable of all this. But what's important? Any of that? No, none of it. Um, I keep thinking back at Philippians chapter 3, where he goes through all his credentials and he said, it's all done. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I want to know Christ better. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I would like to read verses 3 and 4. Or someone who has it memorized could quote verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Okay. So here's, this is probably, I think, one of the best concise definitions of the gospel in, in scripture. And he says, I delivered it to you as of what? First importance. This is what's primary, the gospel. So he's saying, you know, this is what I brought to you, the gospel. Um, so he preached God's word, the gospel. He preached it plainly and clearly, and he relied on God to change their hearts, God and his spirit. So his presentation did not have boldness. We would expect Paul to be bold on the way he hunted down believers early on before he was saved. But he wasn't. He says he came, um, in verse 3, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So the word weakness is, we have that back in chapter 1, verse 27. Um, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those that are strong. So he was one of those. He's one of the weak ones that, that God chose. Uh, fear is the basic word for being afraid. Oh, boss, you know, we, we know what fear is. Uh, trembling means to shake or quake with fear. And he said he had much trembling. He didn't just shake a little bit. You know, we typically have, you get stuck in a place where you have to do public speaking and you hang on to the, pul the pulpit so people can't see you shaking. <laughs> Yeah, he had much trembling. 
Um, one Wednesday night, uh, when Robert wasn't here, I, I talked about praying for missionaries. And one of the things that we pray for is for boldness. And we use Paul as an example. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 6. Someone would like to read verses 18 and 19. And I pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that I, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. Okay, fearlessly. Uh, my version says, make known with boldness. Paul said, pray for me that I might be bold and fearless when I present the gospel. Um, Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is where Paul's defending himself against his opponents. 2 Corinthians 10, we someone like to read verse 1 for us there. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. Okay, so his opponents were saying, well, he writes all these fierce letters, but when he's here, he's not very fierce or bold. He's meek and weak. <coughs> so, what do we have here in these first three verses? We, <coughs> excuse me, we have a message that seems to be um, simple and seemingly foolish, especially to the Greeks and the Gentiles. It's being presented by a poor speaker who is trembling with fear. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly how I share the gospel with people. <laughs> you know, that, yes, that's, that's, that's what happened. How can this accomplish anything? And his audience, he's already talked about, they were foolish too. Then I'm strong. Right. The strength, again, the strength is in God. He's really emphasizing that this is all uh, a result of God's power and God's strength. Okay, it's going on to verses 4 and 5, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So the first part of verse 4, he's continuing with this, describing how weak his message is, really. Um, and this is kind of a, a humanistic evaluation of the gospel, that it did not have persuasive words of wisdom. And I looked up the word persuasive. Here it is an adjective. This is the only place in scriptures that used as an adjective. Now, if you look up the verb, you know, I'm trying to persuade you or you were persuaded, it's used very, very often. But this is the only place where it's used alone as an adjective. <coughs> so he talks about persuasive words. What we have, though, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Let's turn to Colossians 2, 4.
So in our verse, he's talking about persuasive words. And there are sec- separate words in the Greek. In Colossians 2, 4, someone would like to read that for us. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Am I in the wrong? Colossians? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, no, that's, oh. that's right. That's, that's the correct verse. Let me. Okay. Persuasive. Oh, yeah. I'm in Galatians. No wonder I can't find it. You, you're in the right place. I'm in the wrong. Should have cleaned my glasses this morning. Two four. Persuasive arguments. Persuasive arguments is is a word for persuasive and words stuck together in a compound word. Fine so, sounding. Fine sounding word, yeah. Persuasive arguments, fine so sounding it's words. It's not an adjective. It's not an adjective, but it's a compound word here. So it's, it's exactly the same thing, but he's he's stuck the two <laughs> words together to make them into one word. Persuasive words. No. Oh. So I found a, you know, I found a couple interesting things from the Greek and you know, studying for this section. Persuasive words. It's the single word here, and in, in our verse back in First uh, Corinthians, are two separate words stuck together. So um, again, back in First Corinthians, he has persuasive words of wisdom. And this wisdom here refers back to the wisdom of the Greek philosophers. He did not use their kind of wisdom and their debate methods um, when he presented the, the gospel. Now, there were places where it talks about Paul reasoning with the Jews. And in those cases, what he was doing was he was showing them that their scriptures did point toward Christ. He was explaining that this is talking about Christ. This is talking about his death on the cross. And so he was showing them that the gospel was there in their scripture. But the power, the authority in that case was not in his reasoning, but in still in based on the scriptures. He was showing them what their scriptures said. So um, that verse we just looked at in Colossians, point was to, they were deceptive, right? Deceptive words of wisdom. Um, I want to look at some other examples of deceptive speech. Let's look at Romans chapter 16. So, Romans chapter 16. Someone like to read verses 17 and 18 for us. Okay, so smooth talk and flattery. So there's another way of deceiving, of tricking and trapping someone. When I think of flattery, I, I think of when I was in college, 
you know, I had an appointment with a fellow that wanted to sell me life insurance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you go to college, that's what people do. They try to sell you all this stuff you don't need. And I walked in there. I had this, it wasn't a real briefcase. My twin brother had had it, and he didn't like it, so he gave it to me, and I just hold my books around in it. I came in and sat down, and the guy says, wow, what a neat bookcase, <laughs> briefcase you have there. And I think, you know, all red flags went up, and I think, because <laughs> it was not. <laughs> and I think if that's the only thing you could find flatter me about, then. <laughs> but yeah. I have another one you want <laughs> I think this, this guy's trying to sell me something that I don't need. Okay, let's turn to 2 Peter. I have a couple passages in 2 Peter where he's talking about false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 1. Would someone like to read verses 16 and 17? Okay, so Peter is saying, talking about the transfiguration here. He says, I presented it to you accurately. This is not a cleverly devised tale. Can you think of examples of cleverly devised tales? I think of someone who found a golden tablets or something like that. Mormonism. Mormonism is based on these cleverly devised tales. Right. Right. Yeah. So here Peter's saying, no, I didn't make this up. This is not a made-up story. This actually happened, and I presented it accurately to you. So that's a way of um, deceiving people. Um, and then in Second Peter chapter 2, would someone like to read verses 18 and 19 for us? Okay, so this is an appeal to the old nature, and it's empty promises. If you just do this, you'll feel, you know, life will be better. You know, and that's, you know, it's not just false teachers that do that. Our old natures do that to it constantly. You know, if, if you just do this, then I'll be, you'll be happy. Give me money, and I'll give you a wallet that never runs out. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> Oh, yeah. Timeshare. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. That, you know, so these are all m methods of deception. Um, and, and what Paul is saying here is um, he did not deceive them when he came. You know, he, he didn't use any of these deceptive methods when he presented the gospel. He was, here it is. Christ died for your sins on the cross. 
Believe on him and you'll be saved. So these are all techniques uh, Satan uses to attack believers, to trip them up. You know, he's the great liar, the great deceiver. He also blinds the minds of the unbelievers, and a lot of it's through deceptive tactics. So Paul brought the message of Christ, of Jesus, and him crucified. And he relied on God's power through the Holy Spirit to change the hearts. The message is simple, but it's backed up by God's power and the Holy Spirit. And so I thought I'd look at some of the examples of how the Holy Spirit works in human hearts to make things obvious and to change our thinking. Let's go to John chapter 16. I think this is fundamental to how people come to faith in Christ. John chapter 16. So I'm going to like to read verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. So here we see the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, which is really the first step toward knowing that you need to be saved. Right, the Holy Spirit has to come and convict. Um, you know, you can't, you can tell people all you want until you're blue in the face that they're sinners, but unless the Spirit convicts them of that, they'll have excuses for everything. Um, but it also says he'll guide us into the truth. He opens us up so we can understand the truth. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. And someone like to read verses 44 and 45. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled what that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Okay, so these are the, 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 the apostles he's talking to, the 12. Um, and they, when, when you read through the Gospels, it's almost frustrating how dense they were. They just did not get it. And so uh, I think one of the other Gospels says Jesus breathed on them and, and gave them the Spirit and opened their minds so that they could understand this. So this is before Pentecost. This is before God gave the Spirit, poured the Spirit out on the church. We have that Spirit. We ought to be able to understand. So we don't have the excuse that those guys did. Um, and so he pours out the Spirit on them uh, so they could understand the things that he had taught them. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. Here's an example in the conversion of Lydia. Acts chapter 16, someone would like to read verses 13 and 14 for us.
to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Okay, so Paul's talking here, but it took God to open her heart up so she could respond, so she could understand and respond to what he was saying. He was sharing the gospel. And again, it was the power of God that opened her heart and she was saved. Um, and finally, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and would someone like to read verses 4 and 5? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Okay, so this is, here he's telling the Thessalonians basically the same thing he's telling the Colossians, or Corinthians. You know, the, the spirit, the message came with power, with the power of God. Um, and we see the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings here, too. And so that's how they were saved. They, they recognized that it was an act of God that saved them. And so their faith was in God and not in Paul's uh, poor preaching abilities. Now, back in our verse, um, Paul refers to um, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So how is the Spirit demonstrated when he presented the gospel? Now, is he talking about miracles that accompanied the gospel? Is he talking about the speaking in tongues? Because we know that is something that the Corinthians did. Um, and we're not really given any, when, when you look at uh, Acts chapter 18, it doesn't talk about him doing any miracles there. Um, so, Let's go back and look at some other verses and places that, that talk about his ministry. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. Someone like to read verses 18 and 19. Well, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power and signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elikram have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so here he says as he, as he traveled and preached, um, he did show uh, miracles and powers. Um, to demonstrate, you know, it was it was God's power through the Holy Spirit who was accompanying his message. And so that was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so this is, uh, this is addressed to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would someone like to read verse 12? The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, so he did do mighty works. He did do signs and wonders there. In, in that context, it was a demonstration that he was an apostle of, 
of Christ. You know, it's his, it demonstrates his authority as an apostle of Christ there. Um, so on the one hand, the demonstration of, of God's power in the gospel was through signs and miracles and wonders. We do have another one in Acts chapter 6, where it's a little bit different. Let's turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, someone like to read verses 9 and 10 for us. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Okay, so here Stephen is debating with the Jews and he demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit through his, the wisdom and the words that he was speaking. So there's no miracles happening here, but it's the argument that he was presenting demonstrated God's spirit and the power of that spirit. Um, you know, other examples of that is, you know, after Pentecost, you've got the apostles preaching and everybody, you know, the, the religious leaders are saying, where did these guys get this boldness? Where did they get this understanding? Where did they get, it's the Holy Spirit. And so Stephen himself is a demonstration of that. I have a note in my Bible. says the Holy Spirit will give power to our words and use them to bring glory to Jesus. Yeah. And, and Jesus promises that, you know, you will be persecuted, but just don't worry about what words you use because God will give you the words. And so we see that, I think, again, with, with Stephen. So human hearts are just, they're actively opposed to God. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to turn, to turn us to faith. And so as a result of uh, the proper presentation of the gospel, which is what Paul does here with the Ephesians, um, those who receive it will realize that their faith is not in the preacher, but it's in God and his power. And that's where their faith has been, will be. So, you know, back in chapter one, we've already, he's already established human wisdom cannot save anybody. You know, it's empty, it's, it's useless. So now he's um, also established that you can't put your faith in your favorite preacher. You know, I'm of Paul or Apollos or whoever. Um, he can't save you either. <laughs> but it's God alone who saves and God alone who empowers. And so that's the emphasis. You know, he says, when I come to you, I came just bringing Christ and him crucified. So. Okay, good place to break right here. Um, Brian, would you like to close for us today, please? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and your power for you to save us and bring people to you. It's the only way to you. And please be with Pastor Robert this next hour to come. Open our minds and our hearts to your word and what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.